Pray for me. I just began last week, I was sitting there Saturday, Sunday night, we got home, and this, this scripture hit my mind. And it's Hebrews 10.20, speaking of the what we're about to get into, but it hit my mind. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, now verse 20, by a new and living way, which He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. Of course, this refers back to the Old Testament law that God gave to Moses. Uh, we understand this is written by the Apostle Paul because he's writing to the Jews, he being a Pharisee, and writing to his brethren who were among the elect of God, whom God had quickened and given an understanding of Christ, those that did not reject Christ but accepted Him. As John said, He came to His own, His own received Him not. Yet there were lost sheep among the house of Israel. And Paul is speaking to those people. They would not have taken His Word, many of them, had He put His name to the Scripture because He Himself was a Pharisee. And you know the story of Paul going to persecute the church, put them in prison, kill them. When the Lord Jesus Christ struck him down on the road to Damascus, he was born of the Spirit of God. God sent him forth to preach unto the Gentiles. There's your vile man whom God touched and used. To make that point, that's why Paul does not have his name on the book of Hebrews. Now Paul is speaking to his brethren. It's written to the Hebrews. It's written to the church of God, all the elect of God, that are born of the Spirit and can have an understanding of the Scripture. But... The book is addressed to the Hebrews, those among the Jewish nation. Paul's beginning this and he's relaying the things that were in the Bible, in the Old Testament. You know, the Hebrews are the Jewish leaders. Let me say it that way. Let me say it this way. The religious elite of the world laid their claim back to Moses and the law of Moses and to being the seed of Abraham. There were reasons for Moses and Abraham, God's purpose. But we don't look to Abraham and we don't look to Moses or the law. We look to Christ and grace and truth which came in Christ. But he's talking about to them about the things of the law service and leading them unto and into the New Testament church by the preaching of the Gospel. Now he begins in chapter 9... Well, back up, he said, a new covenant hath he made, he hath made the first old. He did away with the first covenant, all the law. All the law did was declare the righteousness of God and how far we are below God, how the nations are a drop in the bucket, how our good works are as filthy rags, how we're nothing, yea, less than nothing before God. The law had its purpose. They worshipped by the law with things that would never bring salvation, that would never bring life. Now all that was done that when grace would come, we would see and understand our depravity by the law, by the sacrifice of the righteous Son of God, whom many of them had rejected. His death, burial, and resurrection, and God raising Him up for our justification by the grace of God. But Paul is telling them in chapter 9 of Hebrews that then verily the first covenant of worship also had also ordinances of divine service and worldly sanctuary. 
Now you can go back to the Old Testament, and if I can keep my place and stay in order, if God will bless me, we'll do some of that. But I want to make a point before moving. This is going to teach us of the center of the tabernacle of the sanctuary. The tabernacle is the place where God... You understand this. God does not change. This is the tabernacle where God was pleased to reveal Himself and communicate with His people. And that's what we're going to talk about today in the flesh of Christ, Lord willing. In, make this before we move on. The Old Testament are types and shadows of Christ. Now, they did not bring salvation. They point to the salvation in Christ. There was a tabernacle where God would appear to His people in a cloud of smoke in the mercy seat. But let me give you this before moving. Even in the very construction of this, we see Christ. If you look at the temple in Herod's, Herod's temple, you find not the scriptural direction that God gave to build this tabernacle, this sanctuary. That's no different from today. There are so many winds of doctrine in the world where men from zeal or whatever reason are deceived and teach things that are different from what Scripture says. Steve and I were talking the Friday, I believe. How can you deny elect according to the foreknowledge of God? How can you deny Romans 8? How can you deny 1 Peter? How can you deny Ephesians 1 and 4 according to it shows us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be held without blame before God the Father in love in Him. And I'm not quoting that. I'm butchering it. But you know the text I'm talking about. And then again in John... For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which He hath given me, that's the elect of God, I should lose nothing but raise it up to the last day. Now I say that to make the point because in Herod's temple, everything in there was changed. Don't look at Herod's temple for what I'm about to tell you. What I'm going to tell you is what God gave to Moses. And when you look at the construction of the temple that God commanded Moses to build, There was an inner court. And in that inner court, the first thing you see in the center, in the center, is the brazen altar. That is going to teach us of the sacrifice of Christ. Beyond that, there's a laver. That's a container of water where the priest would bathe himself before going into the holy place. When he would go to the holy place, on the right-hand side, there's a direction it was. I'm not going to get into that because to be frank, I don't have the mind to remember. But on the right-hand side, there is the table and the shoe bread. On the left-hand side, there's a candlestick. Directly in front of that, there's an altar of incense. Beyond that is the veil, which represents, as we read, the flesh of Christ. And beyond that (laughs) is the ark of God. The ark of the testimony. A pure type 
and picture of Christ. We'll hope to get into that if God will bless. But the point I'm trying to tell you in the construction of the temple, if you look at that temple as God gave Moses to construct it, it makes a cross. Amen. There's Christ. Amen. Okay? God doesn't do anything without purpose. And God reveals Himself to us. Whoa, pray for me, there's so much in here. The first, then verily the first covenant, the law, had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. That's what the church is. A sanctuary. A sanctuary is a place set aside from the nations of the world, from the world, from all the death and sin in the world for God's people to dwell with God. It's sanctified. It's set aside. That represents the church today. This is where people that God has saved in Christ from every nation, and I love the one every tongue, because there are tongues of men that have ceased to have been spoken and used in a thousand years, but the Bible teaches me that God had a people among them because He's had a people from every tongue. But it's a sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle. This is not calling it a temple. This is calling it a tabernacle. Above this there was a great tent. God told David, the ark of God has dwelt in tents. Catch that because it is not permanent. It's made to move because God goes with us. It's made so we can carry it with us when we go as we carry Christ and prayer and humble submission. I don't know about y'all. Daniel said the older he gets, the older I get. Brother, I pray continually all day because I need it. And God has blessed me to grow in grace. I do trust to have the knowledge that I am nothing and I can do nothing without Him. And I pray all day. We're down here working. I'm praying all day, Lord, bless this church. Amen. If it be Thy will, add daily such as should be saved. But there's a tabernacle made. The first, this is almost as exciting as going through the book of Revelation. The first <laughs> wherein was the candlestick. The candlestick was in the holy place. You come in and there, I'm going to go in the order he's in. Not the way of entrance, but the order Paul lists them. But when you come past the brazen altar and the priest, the labor where the priest would wash and you enter into the holy place. Not the holy of holies. This was the holy place. This is where the priesthood daily carried out the work God gave them to do. May God help us to do so. There was a tabernacle made. The first wherein was the candlestick. Now understand, there was a ministry there. There was a ministry there chosen of God, called of God to do the work of God. Those men are not able to do the work of God. By their nature, they have no desire to do the work of God. New Testament speaking, it was given to the Levitical priesthood. And if we look to the day of Christ and see many of the scribes and Pharisees, we know and understand they were not of God and cared nothing about God because they rejected Him. 
But pointing to the New Testament church, this is the people that God had chosen to Aaron and his sons with the priesthood given. You see, your dad, your granddad in the ministry, you see, my uncle, great uncle, was the first pastor of this church when he's reconstituted. You see ministry and you also see membership that seems to go in family ties in the sense of giving the land a tribe. That's not always the case. And I'm not telling you that only this family or only that family has eternal life. What I'm trying to tell you is how God does things and what's represented here. There's the tabernacle of the maid. The first one, there was a candlestick. You go in the holy place, there's a candlestick, the seven candles. They are there. They have their oil that lights and fuels the lamp. They are there to give light in the holy place because there are no windows while the priest are there doing the service of God. Those men had light from that candlestick. There are seven candlesticks, seven candles upon the candlestick. The oil is from the olive oil. What does that represent to us today? Seven is a number of completeness. Six days God created the heaven and the earth. The seventh day He rested. That teaches me we have a complete supply of grace for the ministry. Men fall. Men sin. Men turn away from the church. That's not the Lord's fault. Peter said the Lord has given us everything that pertain unto life and godliness. It's there. When we fall, when we err, you lay that blame on us and on Satan, not on God. God gave us perfection. But the candlestick is there. The olive oil represents the Spirit of God. The seven represents the completeness of the grace of God. And of course, that light represents the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is the light, is the life of men. The light that Christ places within our heart that drives the darkness of the world, of our nature, of our very own body, and drives that sin away. God told Abraham, when you come into the promised land, I will drive out the inhabitants of the land. God does that with us. Christ in you, the hope of glory, drives away the desire for sin, the desire, the hatred, and all the things that are common to the natural man by our very existence. And when you're born of the Spirit of God, Christ, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit drives these things away from you that you can serve God and shine as a light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Now, there's the candlestick. And there's the table. We know what a table is. Most of them had four legs and four corners. This table, upon it sits the shoe bread. The shoe bread was put there on Sabbath. That was Saturday under the Jewish law. That was the seventh day of the week. Look at the calendar. Sunday's the first day of the week. What day did Christ come forth from the tomb? Sunday, the first day of the week. It's the Lord's day. It shows us a new beginning. It shows us a beginning in Christ. It shows us so many things. But here on the table was the shoe bread. When you entered the king's home in those days, there had to be provisions made. There was always bread on the table. When the Lord God Almighty, I am that I am, self-existent, 
never beginning, never ending, delivered His people from the bondage of Egypt. They were in the wilderness. Oh, there's the nature of man. Let's murmur. We had garlics, leeks, onions, no telling what all they had. Oh, I could hear it today. We had Papa John's pizza and Pasquale's. We had steak and potato. That's the nature of man. That's the nature. And they began to rebel against God and rebel against those whom God sent, Moses and Aaron. And God gave them manna. You see this shoe bread. It's there to show. That's what the word shoe means, show bread. It's there to show them that the providence of God will take care of His people. That's why Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. Do not the lilies of the field exceed Solomon in his glory? Are not the birds of the storehouse fed without barn? Are not the animals and the birds fed? God's providence cares for His people. He said, I will never leave thee for thee. God cannot lie. And God will never forsake His children. He says, there's the table and the showbread representing the food that God delivers to His people. Now, they had that manna. It was called angel food. We have John 6, the bread of life. We have the body of Christ crucified, laid in the tomb three days and three nights, raised up. Now that guarantees that we'll be raised. And we have that knowledge to feed upon while we live and walk in a dark, sinful world where men hate each other, where men kill each other, where men even hate you worse than anyone else because you're a child of God. And to make that worse, you try to serve God and be separate from the world. And they especially hate you. And God gives you the body of Christ to feed upon in the knowledge of the Son of God. He's not this wimp who's begging for your help. He's the Creator of heaven and earth. When God spoke, Christ is the living Word that formed the heavens and the earth. Yes, That showbread, which is... There was a tabernacle made the first where it was a candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. That is where the place the Lord had sanctified in the wilderness for His people by His instruction and direction to serve Him. Now I challenge you sometime when you're alone by yourself and want to think about things, pray a little bit. Study the things the Lord put in the church and what God did not put there. and Consider we need to get rid of the things God did not put there. We don't need praise and worship teams. We need the Holy Spirit of God. Yes, sir. That is all we need and that is what God gave us to remind us and teach us what Christ and Him crucified. It's not the church. It's not the ministry. It's not any man-made invention. It is Christ and Him crucified. Amen. And after the second veil, now this is the holy Place. This is the holy of holies. And after the second veil, 
the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer. That's the censer. The altar of incense is before you come there. Okay? The first thing that would happen, and this is once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the first thing that would happen, the high priest, not the priesthood, they were not allowed in the Holy of Holies. It was off limits. They would be killed. They would be dead from God Himself if they came into the Holy of Holies. The only one allowed for the purpose of God to come into the Holy of Holies was the high priest. The reason for that, bringing us up to the fact that Christ is our high priest and He and He alone could do the work the Father gave Him to do, could come into the holy place with His blood and save His people from their sins, period and forever. Now, after the second veil, this veil, if you study this, it was blue and purple and scarlet. That represents to me the glory of God and the beating and crucifixion that was, to use southern words, laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, He's the one being shadowed there. He's the anti-type of the type. He is the living Word of God. He's the second person of the Godhead. God said, Genesis 1, let us make man in our image. That's Father, Word, Holy Ghost. First John says that. There's five, three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. They do not change. They do not age. I say that to make the point of who is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the living Word of God. He was made flesh and dwelt among us. All of these things foreshadowing who He is and what He would do. Yes. Now that veil separated between the holy place where the priest could come and where only the high priest could come. We think of a veil, my first thought's always a bride with the veil on her face. And then you've got a veil like a curtain. This was the curtain type veil. You can, you can pull over Genesis, uh, Exodus 25 through maybe 31 and read these things. But the, the veil was... Blue and purple and scarlet. If you can't see beatings and blood and that, then we need to be praying. Because it's teaching us Christ. But that veil was not a thin thing that blew in the wind. That veil, if you read the Scripture, was finely woven and knit together. And it was about four inches thick. It was a thick covering. It was a thick veil. Thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple. This is 26 and 31 of Exodus. Of blue and purple. There's your bruises and scarlet blood and fine twine linen of cunning work. With fine twine linen of cunning work. Let that sink in. Fine twine linen. Linen is the Attire of kings. Here is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Now I'm giving you a covenant of an understanding of the covenant made from before the foundation of the world in this. 
Because before the world ever was, God in His omniscience seeing the fall of man and He chose His people in this fine intertwined work as a woman would sit and work the thread together. How fine, how tedious, how cautious, how wise it is. I can't do that. I don't know how. I can't braid hair. I certainly could not do like the women do in making the things they make and sewing. You see the wisdom and the brilliance of God in His fine twined work. He did not destroy all creation. Would have been just and would have been glorified. But how much more is God glorified in the grace that He bestowed upon those He chose to love in the Lord Jesus Christ? He didn't come with kids as a king of kings. He didn't come with an army and destroy the Romans. He came in the body of a man in the likeness of sinful flesh yet without sin and lowered Himself to the death of the cross His body becoming sin for us. The song we sang, His body, our sin, nailed to the cross. Bearing our sin. Brilliance of God. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. How can this man who calls himself the Son of God save us? We don't need Him. We've got Abraham. We've got Moses. Lord, help that people. But this fine twined linen of cunning work woven together, every word Christ said, every step He took, everyone He saved, everyone He raised up, everyone He gave hearing, everyone He gave sight, everyone He gave a tongue to speak to glorify God. Fine, cunning work to glorify the Son of God the Lord of lords, the King of kings, to comfort His people, to give us the knowledge of the salvation of the Son of God in heaven and immortal glory forever and here in a temporal world in which we live. Thou shalt make a veil, fine twine linen and cunning work with cherubims it shall be made. I'll get to that in just a moment. The holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold. If you remember 25 in Exodus, that Ark was made of Shittim wood and it was overlaid with pure gold. I've told you this before, but I want to bring it to your remembrance. Pure gold cannot be formed by man. It has to have an alloy. There is a reason... The Holy Spirit in Scripture told Moses to build it out of pure gold. Overlay it with pure gold. Man cannot form that. This ring that I've had for 40-something years, I should have said 42. I said 40-something. I'll catch it for that. But this ring I've had for 42 years is gold. But it's got an alloy in it. It's got something from the world. It's got something the man put in it. The truth is pure, first of all. But what the pure gold represents is the righteousness, the glory of the very Son of the living God. Which had the golden censer. That's the censer of the priest. 
would take into within the veil and offer up the burning incense to God. Now you can read the Old Testament and see where those who were not qualified to do so did that and were swallowed up at the ground. God takes religion seriously. I wish we could all understand that. We're saved by grace. The purpose we're saved is to serve the Lord and be separate in this world. I'm not telling you God's going to strike you dead. I don't think that's the case. But I tell you this, brethren, when we strive to serve the Lord and turn away, now we're going to fall and God's going to pick us up and we're going to sin and we're forgiven. But while we live and walk in this world and try to serve the Lord our God, life is so much better. Amen. The golden censer and the ark of the covenant. I love that. That's one of my favorite texts. The ark of the covenant. The ark was made of shittim wood. It was overlaid with pure gold representing the righteousness of God in Christ. Inside the ark was the golden pot that had manna. It was there to witness against the naysayers. It was there to witness to the children of God that while they were in the wilderness, as Moses said, you didn't go hungry. Your shoes did not even wear out upon your feet. The providence of God had carried you. Now, today, that teaches us of the providence of God in our life to cause us and to sustain us and carry us while we walk in this world of sin and darkness trying to manifest the work of God in our life and give thanks out of gratitude to the Lord God in heaven who left heaven in immortal glory, laid aside the glory of the Godhead and suffered and bled and died for us who is now raised back into heaven. His work's finished. If it was not, God would not have received Him back into glory and acts. To bear witness to our Savior. And there was Aaron's rod that budded, Numbers, I think, 17. They had murmured against God. They had taken that golden censer in number 16. Who are you, Moses and Aaron, to set yourself over us as princes? There's Adam. There's me. It's one thing I have against the teaching of the world. You better get right before you die and go to hell. If you tell me I've got to do something or I'm going to lose, I'm going to fight you to prove you that I do not have to do it. That is my nature. 25 years of police work did not help that one bit. A man turns because of fear before long. That fear is gone and he's right back in the same rebellion he was in and probably worse most times. Amen. It's grace, brethren. Yes, sir. When the love of God touches your heart and you see Christ high and lifted up at the right hand of the majesty on high, that causes you to love. That causes you to serve the Lord our God out of gratitude and love. Yes, but there was Aaron's rod that budded. They turned against him. They murmured against Moses and Aaron. Just to brief it up. The Lord told Moses, you take a rod from every 
tribe. Twelve rods. One for every tribe of Israel. Who, by the way, represent also a complete number in the elect of God. We're the same as they were. Vile people of the flesh. But God chose us. God loves us. God takes us. But with that said, He said, take the rods. And He said, I'm going to show them who I chose, who I set to rule over my people. And we find in number 17, if I can read well enough to find it, Take of every one of them a rod according to the house of their fathers, of all their princes according to the house of their fathers, twelve rods right upon every man's name upon his rod. That's the patriarch. Write the patriarch's name upon the rod. Thou shalt write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi. For one rod shall be for the head of the house of their fathers, and thou shalt lay them up in the tabernacle of the congregation before the testimony where I will meet with you. And it shall come to pass that the man's rod whom I shall choose shall blossom. And I will make to cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel, whereby they murmur against you. There in that ark of that covenant was the rod of Aaron, the man whom God called. Remember Exodus 3 where God called Moses and, and, and Moses said, Lord, I'm a slow tongue. He said, Thy brother Aaron shall speak for thee. And he gave the priesthood to Aaron to speak for Moses as the priesthood is given today, to speak for Christ by the power of God in grace, to speak for Christ, to speak of Christ, to teach His children of a risen Savior, to teach His children of our Lord and King who defeated death, sin, and the devil. Amen. And I'll cut that short and I'll just say that His rod budded. It brought forth buds and bloom blossoms and yielded almonds. And God, the golden rod, is there in the ark and the tables of the covenant. There in the tables. We mentioned this last week. Bear with me. It bears repeating. The children of God that were manifested, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, the Lord God had just put all these plagues on Egypt that they might know <laughs> that the Lord has set a difference between His people and Egypt. Amen. You see who set the difference. You see who delivered. The same one that delivers today and tomorrow and into glory. God had deliberately led them down to a place they could not escape, surrounded by the enemy, and here comes Pharaoh and his chariots. God parted the Red Sea and the children of Israel murmuring and complaining. Now you catch this when you feel alone in the world because God is with you and one man with God is the majority. There was one man that had faith. By faith the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea. Read the 14th chapter of Exodus. There was one man that had faith and that was Moses. You don't stand alone in this world, brethren. When the world and the nations of the world and governments are men and all the evil in society is bearing down upon you, you do not stand alone. 
You stand with Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Now, they crossed the Red Sea as if they were on dry land. You ever got stuck in muck? I have. That's my daddy. It's been a lot of record bills. They walked across as on dry land. Pharaoh got stuck, and the ocean came back down the Red Sea and destroyed them. Yes, sir. Now these people had seen the power of God, but the natural man does not fear God. While God called Moses up into the mount and gave him these tablets of stone, they were down below sinning. But God saved His people anyway. That's so sweet to know. Doesn't matter what. Let me say this. Paul said it in 1 Timothy. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. Yet if we believe not, He abideth faithful. He cannot deny Himself. He cannot deny the sacrifice of the Son of God. There will not be one child of God left out, left behind, And there won't be one added either because they're all in the hand of Christ. But we see... I've got to move and get to the meat I love so much. Aaron's rod that budded in the tables of the covenant. God wrote those tables with His own finger and gave them to Moses. I said last week and I'll say it again today, those two tables of stone represents the stone of flesh. I think it's Ezekiel 37. The heart of stone and the heart of flesh. What's the difference in the two? One is stone, one is flesh. The natural man has a heart of stone. God touches the heart. There's the circumcision, not of the foreskin, but of the heart. Only the Lord can do that. He gives you circumcision. He changes. He takes away your heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh. But that's what that's a type of the two tables of stone. And they're there. The tables of the covenant. Well, wait a minute now. That's the tables of the covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31, and again in Hebrews, somewhere through here, and I'm not going to get to that. But there comes a day when He would make a new covenant. Not the old covenant, but the new with the house of Israel. That's spiritual Israel. That I will write My law upon their hearts. They shall all know Me from the least. The least. That's the poor, old, common, as dirt sinners. I hope like Me to the greatest. And they know God because God wrote His law upon their inward parts in Christ. The tables of the covenant. And over at the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we can not now speak particularly. I hope I can remember to come back to not now speak particularly. Lord, help me. The mercy seat. This is the most beautiful picture to me of Christ. We see the pillar of a fire that went before them in the night and got between them and their enemies. The hedge that God puts around us in Christ. We see the pillar of a cloud. Those are both types of Christ where God would shade His people from the heat of the day. We see different types of Christ through Scripture. But to me, this is my personal favorite. Because here upon this ark that shows us the providence of God which feeds us, the manna, the golden pot, 
the fruitfulness and Aaron's rod that budded, giving me an understanding that the church of God will be somewhere in this world bearing witness to God as long as time exists. And the tables of the covenant, the law of God, the testimony of God, which is Christ. And over it the cherubims. Glory shadowing the mercy seat. That ark was built. You can go back to Genesis 25. I don't have time. Each one of these is a different day and we're putting them all together so you pray for me and I pray you understand it and God blesses you with that because I cannot give it to you if He does not. Because I'm a sinner. Those cherubims. That top of that ark. I love the wording. It said, the Holy Spirit is so wise. Here's some of that cunning work knitted together, knitted together. That ark set upon, I mean, that top, the mercy seat, the lid, set upon that ark. Therefore, it's a part of that ark. Yet it set above that ark. Can you see Christ, a part of us? Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. But yet, He is above us. He is above us as high as the heavens are above the earth. And even farther, look one winter night. On the coldest of the night, on a clear night, the stars are there. Look so far off, you can see a faint star coming in and out. Just see it for a minute and maybe won't see it for five more and then the light will shine again. It's so far away. God's ways are higher than our ways than that star is above the earth. He's above us. He's upon us. He's a part of us. Yet He's above us. And this is the Son of God who's the head of the church whom the Father hath exalted above all things. Now, upon, it's so pretty, upon the top of that ark, again overlaid in pure gold, the righteousness of Christ. Hebrews says He's the expressed person of His image and the brightness of His glory. Hebrews 1. Christ, here's Christ. The two cherubs that sat upon the top of the mercy seat looking one to another. One represents the Son of God, eternal, all-knowing, never learned it, never started loving you, has always loved you, with an everlasting love. Eternity has no beginning or end. Christ is eternal, the eternal Word of God. He never did start loving you. He never will stop loving you. In the righteousness of God is the living Word who would come into this world and save His people from their sins. This was the mercy seat. This is teaching us of the mercy of God. It's of God's mercy we have the church to live in this world. It's of God's mercy we have the ministry and the preaching of the true gospel of Christ and nothing else. Christ and Him crucified. I'm not going to tell you about me. You turn me out of church. Amen. Amen. I'll tell you about the Lord. That's right. 
And on the other one, we see the Son of Man. The body prepared by the Father for the Son. From the womb of a virgin, untouched by man. Therefore, that seed was not corrupted by the nature of man. He had no inherited sin. Amen. He was sinless. Yes, Who was born into this world. To do thy will, O God, in the volume of the book it is written in me. Remember going through that in Psalms. To fulfill the everlasting purpose of God. That Christ would save His people from their sins every kindred, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people, every family, every single one, male, female, does not matter what generation or what, what, what race or anything. It began with the Hebrews and they were the vilest people. And then I look at myself. Can you help to cry out, thank you, Lord? Thank you, Lord. Yes. Now, these two together, overlaid in pure gold, the righteousness of God, looking one to another, because their works agreed. The Son of Man, the Son of God, all man, all God. That is our Christ. Amen. Now I'm going to close with this. Isn't that, isn't that a beautiful picture of the work of God but the Scripture gives if we study it and pray it? And just thank God for it. And over it, the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. I'm going to close with a quick thought. The mercy seat... People try to find it. Where's the ark of God? Where's the ark of God? Where's the ark of God? Uh, they say it's in Ethiopia. And I, I could believe that to a point, but I believe if it was, somebody would have probably went in there with an army and tried to take it by now. And they say it's in Egypt, and I don't believe it there for the same reason. And you couldn't hide something like that from people who look for such things for very long. We can trace the ark itself up until about the time of the Babylonian captivity. About that time. Not quite. But I make a point with that. That represented the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't need it. We've got Christ. Amen. I don't care. If I never see that ark, that's all right with me. Because First John tells me I see Him as He is. Yes, sir. Okay? <clears throat> when God's people read the Scripture, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Babylon. What's Babel mean? Confusion. What's Babylon mean? Confusion. <clears throat> when God's people in that time as we so readily seem to be heading the same position direction today, joined with the peoples of the world, went whoring after the gods of the world, 
God gave them over. There was no more ark. Didn't change God. Didn't change God's eternal purpose. Those that were God's will, and by now, since this is thousands of years later, they're in heaven with God. Because they're God's children. Look at the bondage and the suffering they went through. Because the the ark was removed from them. The power, the wisdom, the urim, the thummim. We are steadfastly approaching a point where if we're not already there, the vengeance of God is going to be very harsh on the hard-hearted people. Amen. And I'll tell you this, the buck stops here. The wicked are not going to seek after God. That's right. I love that verse of Scripture. If my people, which are called by my name, shall seek my face and pray. But it goes further than that and turn from their wicked ways. We need repentance. We need repentance. I want my children and my grandchildren to be able to sit under the sound of the true Gospel of our Lord, our God, and our King, Jesus Christ. May God help us. Thank you all.